vision. Your paradigm is about to shift at the intersection of fact and reason. You're entering Kingston Country. I'm Dan Kingston, and you're listening to the Dan Kingston Podcast. Lisa Britton is a writer, activist, and entrepreneur, and she's the author of a series of empowering children's books that I highly recommend. You can find those on her website, lisamichellebritton.com, including I Am a Champion and I Am an Empress. Thank you for joining the podcast today, Ms. Britton. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about misguided feminism. What, what do you call, what do you make of that? Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say that it's probably unusual to see a young woman from Los Angeles who said something like empower boys. And that is a message that I am very passionate about because what I'm starting to see in our culture today, and it's been going on now for decades, is a big focus on empowering girls in our society and we're leaving boys behind. And I understand a long time ago, I, I respect feminism from um, the early days when they were fighting for equal rights. But I believe um, ever since third wave feminism, really, it's become more about female superiority rather than gender equality. So if you're focusing on just one gender winning, both will lose. They, they're boys will be falling behind and I don't know if we'll be able to catch up if we don't recognize that now. You call it third wave feminism, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think gave rise to that? Um, I believe, well, in the early 90s, there were some studies that came out and they kind of cherry picked the data like people usually do when studies come out. And they said that we had to focus on the empowerment of girls. And so in the early 90s, there was a shift, and they focused more on a feminized school system. And I was actually in elementary school in the early 90s, so I, I saw this myself. I didn't recognize it until now as an adult. But there was definitely a push when I was growing up to empower girls, those, uh, like teaching them that girls were less than in society and we had to focus more on them and the boys were getting pushed aside and more boys are known to have a kind of a different type of learning capabilities and they're more masculine. They, they like to roughhouse, they're louder and they, that's being a boy and that is okay. But during the 90s, they wanted to suppress that. They wanted to kind of change boys into what they thought they should be as they empower girls. And that's only carried on over the past few decades. And now we're seeing the results of this. And you don't usually hear it in the media, but females are, make up 60% of college students now. Boys are on average two years behind girls in school. They're more likely to fail, get expelled, or drop out of school. 93% um, of our inmates are male, and 68% of them don't have a high school diploma. So you look at all of these statistics, and you're like, wait a second, boys are falling behind in school. They're behind girls in every subject, every academic subject. And that's not only in America, but most countries in the West. So we should stop and take a look and be like, wait a second, have we reached our goals of empowering girls? Are we seeing the results now? And if we are, 
we should stop, recalibrate, and focus on empowering all children to do their best. Yet, especially in the past two years, we've only amped up empowering girls and demonizing boys. So at a time when we should stop, look at the future, say this is the path that we're going down. Let's reel it in a little bit. Let's focus on boys. Let's start a conversation about how we should be encouraging all children. Now, if you even say that, I've been accused of this is my internalized uh, misogyny coming out. You know, like people will shut you up when you're trying to say, look, we're seeing some negative results and we got to do something. Um, so that's where I stand. You know, uh, toxic masculinity or traditional masculinity, I guess, would be blamed on men being, you know, higher rates of prison and maybe even um, not doing as well in school. But you're saying maybe it was uh, this uh, kind of a misguided uh, empowering of one gender over another that had some unintended consequences. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not saying that their intentions weren't good. Um, I believe their intentions were good. They wanted to have a more balanced society and wanted to encourage girls. That's not a bad thing. But when you're focusing so much on one side and then at the same time demonizing another, the pendulum is, is going to swing in the other direction. And if you don't catch it in time, it might have disastrous consequences. And I believe we're actually seeing that in our society today, and we have to recognize it. People are wondering why these young men, these young, resentful men, are going out and committing these tragedies. And I'm looking at it. So many people will bring up the, the gun debate and then mental health. And I'm looking at it saying we need to go even further back and look, why are these young men so resentful towards everyone? And I believe it's really starting early on in our school system. They're hearing a message of the future is female, men are the problem, um, even to another extent, white men are the problem. And they're starting to feel like society is against them. And they, it's undeserved blame at that age because they're not responsible for our history, you know. They're, they weren't even alive for most of it, you know. So for them to feel this undeserved blame and shame from such a young age, and they're growing up through a school system and in a society where everyone's saying the future is female and men are the problem, they're going to start resenting everyone. And then when they get old enough, they start going online, on message boards, and they're starting to meet people who feel the same way as they do. And so you look at what's happening today, we're afraid to go into a Walmart. And everybody keeps it. And uh, trust me, I, I know there's many factors which lead to these tragedies. But I'm looking at, like, if we really want to address these issues and feel safe in, in our society and in, in our towns, we should look at all of the different aspects, and I truly believe it's starting early with these young boys. How do you talk to your kids, by the way, about, I mean, not your kids. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you have, if you do have children, I, I, I would ask, how do you talk to your kids about the, um, the scary things, like the school shootings or the Walmart shootings that they see? Well, what, what's interesting is that um, I have a fiance, and he has three kids. And so I don't have any children of my own, but I treat them. I love them so much, and I try to guide them. And 
whatever way I can and try to be a good, positive influence. Um, so it's interesting seeing them grow up in the society today. I feel like I was like the last part of the generation. I got through high school without social media. I got my first cell phone in college, you know, so I didn't have to deal with what they're dealing with today. Um, so when it comes to these issues, I believe the reason why I started writing children's books is that when children are young, they're very impressionable. Um, I remember things my mother used to say in front of me when I was a kid, and I'll just start saying them now. And I'm like, oh, my God, I sound just like my mother. And it's not that, it's not that I'm like, oh, no, I'm like my mom. But it's because when I, my mind was very impressionable, I was listening to her, and they stayed with me. They're, they're instilled forever. So I believe if we go to that time and address these issues and be a but have a positive interjection at that time, then it'll stay with them forever. So that's why I started writing my children's book. So I have one book that's on um, empowering boys, which I think is important. You don't see many empowering children's books for boys. Um, and then I have a book for girls. Um, and what I started to notice about two years ago was um, how we were perpetuating victimhood on girls. And I was like, no, no, no. If we teach girls at the age of five to wear a pink hat and march because your society doesn't view you equally, they're going to believe that for the rest of their lives. So when they're 30, they'll be writing children's books letters telling little girls, society doesn't treat you equally. It's like a cycle. So I was like, okay, I want to write a book for girls that counters that victimhood narrative that they're equal, which they are. They're capable of anything. Like, if you put in the work and the determination to do something, you're capable of anything. Whether that's becoming a baker, a politician, or a mother, I included it, you can be a mother. You know, there's all of this uh, conversation right now about, oh, motherhood bad, uh, being mom's bad, is maternal qualities are bad, you know? And, I wanted to teach them, no, it's okay to be feminine. It's okay to want to become a mother. It's okay to do these things, and you are capable of anything. So the book for girls fights that narrative at a very young age. And then I also have a book on cyberbullying, and I use parrots to uh, teach the lesson. But I thought maybe if we can teach kids before they even go online that cyberbullying is bad, using parrots, and they don't want to be a parrot, um, they'll remember that when they start going online, because we'll be imprinting that in their mind right then. You don't want to be a parrot. You don't want to be like the rest of the parrots who are picking on someone. You want to be the person to stand up for that person. Um, So I've been addressing these issues with my children's books, and I, I believe all parents should do that before it's too late, like instill those thoughts in their mind at an early age. It's a great message because kids are so impressionable. I mean, I heard something, if you reach the, a kid before age five, that's really a, a key mm-hmm. thing in order to, to get to them. Um, and so thank you for your children's books. And I'm worried about kids being traumatized by everything they're seeing right now. It's not a unique thing in the country going through a hard time, you know, for uh, or a traumatic time. Obviously, there's a lot in the news. But is it the way that we're talking about it to kids now? 
helping or hurting? Do you worry about that too? I definitely worry about this. And you see this um, in the news today about climate change. And I just read um, a headline yesterday that a young, I think 14, 13 or 14 year old kid committed suicide because of climate change. They thought the world was doomed. And that is so irresponsible. I understand um, encouraging young children and kids to have a voice. That's great. You know, they should have a voice and they should be aware of issues. But what's happening right now is they're sending such a scary message to children. And they're talking about it in schools. They're they're giving these kids anxiety. And that's not right. Like, they're they're even um, Greta's in the news right now. And I, I think students standing up for what they believe is right is a good thing. We should all do that and freedom of speech. And, but it feels like, especially like the uh, Democrats right now are almost using this child as a human shield because they know you can't attack the child. So put her out there and it's, it's sad to see them almost, like taking advantage of this young girl's freedom of speech. Um, They should be very cautious of what they're doing right now, because not only is that kind of irresponsible to use a child in that way, but they're also terrorizing young kids and teenagers into, they, they did this several times throughout history using children to get a message out there. And um, I just think it's, it's a, there's a fine line when you use children to your political advantage. Because if we start seeing kids getting more anxious, anxiety, doing poorly in school because they feel like they're doomed, that's not healthy. We want to run um, our country based on hope. I remember when Obama was running, they were running on hope. And now it feels like Democrats are running on doom. And it's, that's not a good, that's not a good uh, mindset to have because if enough people are thinking they're doomed, we will be doomed because the mind is very powerful. Mm, Obama would be considered a Republican today by some Exactly. Accounts. When you look back, it's, it's swung very far left on that side. What about the school shootings? You mentioned that uh, you, you you treat these kids like your kids. Are you worried about your kids then uh, with the school shooting drills that I think by the same uh, thing, I, I don't have experience with this. I don't know. Uh, I've heard accounts of these very yeah. scary drills. I wonder, are they helpful? Are they effective? Are they kind of like the nuclear drills back they did back in the day when you went under the your desk? And we know now that that really wouldn't have, have helped you. Um, I've done what, anything. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I believe the shooter drills are uh, terrorizing young people. Um, there's also a lot of people talk about how you're almost training a possible shooter at the same time because right. they know, oh, so if they're saying to do this and do that, I know where they're going to go. I know what they're going to do. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm, my new project that I'm working on, I actually partnered up with a very special, special man who was um, a father of a victim of a school shooting. Oh. And I'm very excited about this new project. I can't really release details yet, but um, it will be out soon. Um, but we're going to do something about it because, as I said with my other books, I believe it's 
it's in, yes, it's important to teach kids how to be reactive in a situation, but I believe it's more important to teach them how to be proactive in a situation. So rather than teaching them, this is what you do in a school shooting, we should be focusing more on this is what we do to prevent a school shooting. Mm. So I believe we have to teach kids and instill in kids what they can do to help to prevent a tragedy. So I believe that starts with, if you see something, say something. If you see something odd, see something off, it's okay to say something. It's important. If you hear someone say something, um, if you hear them threaten someone or say, they'll regret this or something, it's important to tell someone. It's, it's not, oh, it's okay, they're just joking. Like, you can never be too cautious in a situation in the, the culture that we live in today. And then also, if you see people bullying someone or someone's having a hard time, tell somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's what I believe would be even more beneficial than teaching children what to do with how to react in a situation. Let's go to the root problem. Teach kids how to be proactive in preventing something happening in their school. And if you build that um, community where everybody is more conscious, conscious of what's going on and um, kind of there for each other, that might even prevent someone who might turn into a school shooter from turning into a school shooter because if everyone has this, this um, mentality of helping each other and getting somebody help if they need help, then it might make the child who might become the resentful one, they might feel more supported and it might lead to less tragedies. Mm, Yes, especially if you get them early, definitely. And we all have Mm -hmm. a role to play in stopping these mass violence uh, episodes. And so thank you for that work that that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Now, we talked about your books a little bit. I'm curious Mm -hmm. about the different covers. For instance, you Mm -hmm. have four uh, different covers of Mommy Says I'm Beautiful. Can you talk about that? Okay, so um, when I first started for Mommy Says I'm Beautiful, um, it was the first book that I made. And I decided, I noticed that I was waking up every morning, going onto my phone, checking my news feeds. And instantly, I was feeling horrible about myself before I even got dressed for the day. I knew what uh, different fashion bloggers were wearing before me. I was seeing photoshopped images. And I'm an adult. I know that social media is a highlight reel. And all photos are photoshopped and edited. Um, And I started thinking, if I'm kind of looking down on my own life and myself after looking through Instagram... I wonder what, like, teenage girls who aren't really aware, like, this isn't real life, how they're feeling. So then I had an idea, hmm, maybe I'll write a children's book before girls start going online, where um, they'll know and still in their minds early that don't believe everything you see. Don't judge yourself. This is a highlight reel. So I decided to write that book. So right away, I was, I was working on it. I was illustrating it. And I, I had a, an idea to do the book in four different hair color and skin tones because that way every girl would feel like there's one she could relate to. So I did my first two books with the, those different, uh, with the different choices of girls. But um, after I did that, though, it was kind of too complicated. <laughs> like it, I realized that I could 
kind of focus on one and it's okay. Like, uh, it might just be too, too, uh, not dividing, but too focused on specifics when it might be better just to be more broad. Um, so that, that's why I initially did the different, uh, skin tones and hair colors. So everyone felt included, which is true. Everybody should feel included, but just more on like a, a realistic level on producing books. I can imagine that would be a tough thing to, to figure out logistically, yeah. but it did pop out and I was like, this is unique, a different color. I guess then it's like, oh, did you leave one color out or something? I, everybody is could it, be well, nitpicky then, about that. It's, it's like, I, it was, it was shocking because I thought it would be more, um, wow, that's, that's, then people are like, oh, you should do one with curly hair and you should do one this, you should do one that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, I can't, I can't have 50 versions of this book. That's, that's too many. You know? right. But, um, so, uh, it, it was an interesting idea logistically. I don't know how well it would work out. Now, um, I saw you have visited Washington, D.C. What's the main message that you're delivering to lawmakers there in Washington, D.C. when you visit? Okay, so um, I'm obsessed with politics, as are many these days, um, and I love D.C. So I wanted to start trying to bring my message to different lawmakers. Um, I felt like I had an aha moment where I was like, wait a second, why are we teaching young girls that they're victims? And why aren't we empowering boys? I feel like these will lead to solutions. So I started um, trying to set up meetings in Washington, D.C., and I thought that um, Democrats would be more um, receptive of this message. You know, solutions, wait, like, aha moment, I can help. And um, so I started reaching out to Democrats more to see, you know, they might be more uh, willing to meet with me. Um, I met a few politicians, but it almost felt like they were looking and smiling and nodding their head and shaking can you the door. Can you mention who you met? Um, well, yes, because uh, I have photos like online that I met uh, maybe with Rono, and they're very nice. Don't get me wrong, and they agree with me and everything, but it kind of seemed like they were uh, more like, okay, we got this. We got this. We don't need new ideas. We don't need your help, mm-hmm. basically. And um, I also met with one, one of my senders, Diane Feinstein. I went to a breakfast with her, and I actually asked her a few questions, and um I don't, I think I caught her off guard a little bit, but, uh, what did you so ask her? What, what, what did she respond? How, what went down? You have to, you have to tell us. <laughs> okay. Well, I was at a, a constituent's breakfast and I was listening and, and, um, I was confused because it was soon after the second, uh, or the woman's March and there's millions of women marching in the streets. And it was confusing to me because I was, like, what exactly are they fighting for? Like, if anything, we're teaching young girls that they're less than. Like, society, this is almost damaging to these girls. So I went and I asked her in front of everyone. I said, I have a question. What are you going to do for women? Hmm. And she looked at me and she was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, well, I go, what are Democrats going to do for women? Like, kind of like without going further. She's like, I don't understand your question. I said, well, there was millions of women marching in the streets, and I'm curious as to why and what are you going to do for them? Wow. And she was just staring at me Weird. with this look on her face. That's so and she strange. Was like, exactly. She was like, well, I mean, I was 
I helped with uh, uh, like Larry Nasser and the victims. I was like, yes, but like there's millions of women marching. What what's happening? What what are we fighting for? What's going on here? And um, she was like, okay, well you can take your seat. <laughs> basically. Mm. And afterwards, um, a woman came up with her two daughters. She said, thank you. Thank you for asking her that question. Because if we're creating this hysteria, basically, that women are less than, women are oppressed, um, like the man is bad, then what are the issues? Is this kind of just a uh, mindset we're instilling? Well, you know, the way I looked at it when the, that march was happening, I thought it was a reaction to uh, Trump, to be honest. Was exactly. it? Exactly. Well, when you look at it, 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 it 100% was because um, I think it was even Steve Bannon said in a Vandy Fair article maybe like two years ago or something, he said that um, President Trump was the best thing that could have happened to the feminist movement hmm. because that gave them all a common enemy. Like, this is the bad man that we were talking about, the powerful man, the one who might have had many ladies in the past and used his power. Like, he was, the, he was like a gift to the movement. And um, I kind of believe that that is the case because it, the women's marches were um, kind of a march against him, but nobody quite knew what was going on. Like right. I went down to check out the march and there were men walking with their daughters and, and wearing pink hats. And then they were saying, what about our rights? And um, like abortion is healthcare and all of these things. And it was all over the place. There was, about the orange clown in the White House and all just craziness, you know? Right. But there wasn't any focus whatsoever. So I was like, well, what exactly is everybody fighting here? And why is it the woman's march? Like, this could be just an anti-Trump march, you know? It's really so, fascinating what you say about the Trump being the big, you know, boogeyman for the feminist mm-hmm. movement as being something everyone can kind of coalesce around. And, I mean, let's face mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of hostility between men and women. You know, what do you think is at the root of that hostility between men and women? Is it all, like, from childhood stuff? Or is it connected to the Me Too movement or this Women's March or Trump or... What's going on here? I believe there's a lot of confusion, and there's been a lot of confusion for a long time. Um, Decades and decades ago, there was more of a focus on the family unit. And women typically stayed home to care for the children and take care of the home, and the man would go out and work. Um, A lot of people say this is the patriarchy patriarchy that they instilled and it's been there for years. I kind of view it in a different sense. And I've tweeted about this before. I said, everybody views it as a man said, I'm going to go work. You stay in the kitchen to the wife. But I'm looking at it like, well, maybe it was the wife who said, I'm running everything here. I'm taking care of this. You go out and like make some money. Basically. Do you see where it flips? Like, why is everybody viewing the situation one way when it could be viewed another way? And I actually believe it was a balance. And it was that it, within a family, it was a partnership. It was a team. And they were trying to do the best for their family. And so I believe over the years, um, there was a big push when, when almost like jobs got better. Do you know what I mean? Like jobs got more 
Krishna, I guess you would say, and power and everything. And women, the feminist movement started gaining steam. Second wave feminism came out. And when you look at a lot of the founders of the during second wave feminism, like um, Simone de Bouvier, for example, um, she wrote some books. I've read her books. But she, um, there was a sense of hatred towards men or uh, almost like a push for female superiority in her work and in her messaging. And so when people say, like, well, feminism isn't about man-hating, for example, well, parts of the more modern-day feminism were based off of man-hating men. So there is that instilled within the feminist movement. But, um, but so what I think we see now with this divisiveness is women feel like they've been wronged for so long. And now men are starting to be like, whoa, we are getting, like something's wrong here. We're getting attacked constantly. Um, we're hearing like, we're the problem. We, we've kept everyone down for so long, for hundreds of years. And like, these, these men weren't even alive for that long. So it's almost like they're being blamed based off of their identity. They're being demonized because of their identity. Women are being victimized based on their identity. When I believe the solution to this is for all of us to start teaching our kids that society doesn't uh, judge them based off of their identity, their gender, their race, anything. Society judges them based off of their individual character. And if you are a good person and you work hard and you respect others, society will treat you good. But we've fallen away from that kind of hopeful messaging back into almost identity politics. And that's what you're seeing now is identity politics. So are you a woman? You've been wronged. Hate the man. Or are you a man? You're an oppressor. You should, you should go back and change your ways. So it's, there's no, oh, my name's Lisa, and I am this, I do that, I'm a nice person, I can be forgetful at times, you know, everybody's individual. So I think that's the solution, is to move away from grouping ourselves within groups so we feel like blamed or shamed or we blame or shame others based off of what team you're on, and we just focus on treating everybody with respect and being the best individual we can possibly be. Amen to that. Lisa Britton is a writer, activist, entrepreneur, and the author of a series of empowering children's books. And you can find them on her website, lisamichellebritton.com. Where else can people follow you and stay in touch with you? On Twitter is my best platform right now. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, but I usually try to keep Instagram more fun. They're just photos. But my message really is on Twitter. And um, I'm very shocked to see, I, I actually am so worried about um, speaking up on Twitter because I'm going against a mainstream narrative right now. It's not a very popular thing to right now to say empower boys. Um, but only a few months ago, I started tweeting my message out. I said, you know what? I can't be afraid anymore to stand up for what I believe in. And over the past couple of months, my uh, audience has been building very steadily. And I've realized there's a lot of us out there who are looking at the current situation and they believe there has to be change. And it's time that we empower all children. And that shouldn't be a part of the message. 
Yes. And, and what's your handle so they can uh, follow you? Oh, it's uh, at Lisa Britton. And what about Instagram? Same, at Lisa Britton. Great. Well, thank you so much for your fascinating uh, talk today, uh, Miss Britton. Thanks for joining the podcast. Kingston Country. You've been listening to the Dan Kingston Podcast. 